back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. Today I am here with Lisa Congdon. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. It's so great to be with you today, Rob. I remember when I found your uh, your work. I was scrolling through, I think it was Creative Live, and I had people had always like talked about people that actually messaged me and they were like, You have to get Lisa Congdon and I, I got a lot of like messages about that kind of stuff. And when I found it, I was like mortified that I hadn't found you sooner. I absolutely am in love with your work and I was like I ha- I have to meet her. She has to be on the podcast. I'm very uh, grateful to have you on. So, Well, thank you. You're an artist, illustrator, hand letterer, pattern designer, author, world traveler, collector, goofball. I like that that's in there on your Instagram. Uh, swimmer <laughs> and cyclist from Portland. How did you get into the creative field? And uh, we'll, t- we'll take it from there. Well, my story is a little bit different than most people's, although I think more and more this is happening for for people now because they're going on to second or third careers doing different things. But right. I was just your average person who had pretty limited creative interests. Um, when I was growing up, I wasn't necessarily interested in art at all. I um, didn't consider myself a creative person and I didn't study art. I had no interest in going to art school and when I was in my 20s, I became really interested in art, but I never imagined that I could actually make art. That right. happened later. And then in my early 30s, I happened to take a painting class with my brother. He was getting his degree in landscape design, and he had to take an elective. And he was studying in a program that had an extension program, and there was a painting class that he wanted to take, but he didn't want to take it by himself. Right. I think he was sort of he was sort of intimidated. So he's like, oh, do you want to take this painting class with me? And I said, sure. And I ended up ironically falling in love with painting in that class. And my brother never picked up a paintbrush again. He, he got yeah. he fulfilled his requirement. But that yeah, was it. he went and, and then, then you were so much better. He, he went yeah. and yeah, we had really good time taking the class together. But I got really interested in painting. I was pretty terrible at it at first. I mean, most people are sort of terrible at making yeah. art when they first start, especially that's, if you start me, as an adult. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think people imagine that you like that talented people just sort of picked up a paintbrush and always have worked in the same way that they work now. And that's never the case. So anyway, um, I kept taking more and more art classes. I took more classes from this teacher that my brother and I took this class from. And still all this time, I never imagined that this was anything I could do professionally. It was totally for fun. I had a full-time job working in the nonprofit world at the time. And so then, um, eventually around 2004 or five. So about how long ago was that now? 13 years ago, I started posting images of the stuff I was making on Flickr, which was like, I love Flickr. I'm still a fan of Flickr. (laughs) Okay. Still alive and well. Uh, People don't like they don't. That's where I find all my like weird like. Uh, and I know that we have this in common. You like like you're a collector of things. Yes. I don't. I don't actually fit. I don't have any room to put anything. I think my wife would be very pissed off if I filled our apartment with that <laughs> stuff. But I have like pages and pages of Flickr, like you know, like old print ephemera and like old like color palettes and oh my god, just couches and yeah. Eames chairs yeah. for days and days. I love Flickr. <laughs> that was actually where I started posting images of collections there and also my artwork. And so I had, I started a blog and it's a different blog than I have now, but I had 
started sharing my work. And then eventually people were like, oh, can I buy that? Or do you want to sell that in my store? Or, you know, eventually, like in 2006, I got a request for a show in a in a little shop and gallery in Seattle. And so that's awesome. I started thinking like, okay, maybe I can start at least selling my work on the side. But that's, again, all I ever thought it would be. And um, in 2000, between 2006 and 2007, I started thinking more about potentially becoming a professional artist because even though I didn't have very much training and even though um, I wasn't necessarily, my art looked very different than it looks now because it's been a long time and I've really developed it. Yeah. I, I still, I, I loved it a lot and it seemed like people were responding to it. So I was like, what would it be like to try to start a small business? So I opened an Etsy shop and um, in 2008, a year later, I ended up signing with an illustration agent. By that point, I had started building my portfolio and started like working intentionally toward becoming a professional artist. Although mm-hmm. at the time, I couldn't have imagined like leaving my job yet, um, which I did eventually. Um, and from there, I just sort of worked really, really hard. My career is really in full bloom now, but in the beginning it was very slow and very depressing and I made a lot of work and just kept trying to put it out into the world. And then over time I managed to build an audience for my work and I was really lucky because social media was just becoming a thing then. And so it was like this way for me to share my work that, you know, and I was sort of on the cusp of artists sharing their work on social media. So I kind of got in on that early on and really used that to try to spread the word about what I was making. And, um, and it really paid off for me, but it, it you know, it was for a sure. lot of to- toil in the beginning. For yeah. Sure. That's amazing. I love that. There's, there's so much there that I, that I want to talk about a couple of things. And one of them is, and I, I've had this in my own realization, you know, I've I graduated from school now like two and a half years ago and I've had a, like a little bit, you know, that first year you think like, like, you're naive and you think in the first year, like you're going to, you know, surely like you're going to get it, get it together and it will go swimmingly. And then you realize that, it, you know, the, as being a creative professional, it's kind of like a, a long, long game. And um, for my listeners that, that are kind of like just either, you know, a lot of them are just graduating or it's their first year out. I really want to like to express to them and maybe you can uh, speak to this as well. Like how many years was it before... Because for me, now I'm realizing, like, that I thought I had amassed all of this stuff, and now I'm realizing that I've only just begun, which is really kind of, like, beautiful, and that's the way that you should think. But how long was it before, like, you felt like you could take a deep breath and, like, you know, financially you were covered and you were doing it professionally? Because I think people think it's going to take, like, a year or six months, and for some people it takes, like, what seems like, you know, 10, 20 years, like, however long. What was it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's, like... There are some very rare cases where young people who are most of the time super talented, super motivated, or super connected manage to get, you know, a really strong burst on their career in the first year or two or three right. out of school. That Which definitely so happens. Rare, like, though, yeah. It's very rare. So so oftentimes we see those people and we're like you know, we make a lot of assumptions, but those, those, those cases do happen and you can't rule it out. 
but it is very rare. Most of the time, I think it takes about five years to start getting traction and more like 10 years to become really well known. Um, so for me that, and for a lot of artists that I know who are, um, who've been at it for as long as I have, I'm a little older. Like I said, I didn't start until I was in my early thirties. I'm 50 now. So I've been doing this for, I've been making art for almost 20 years. I've been doing it professionally for 11 years, but I would say in the beginning, from the time I like made the decision to be a professional artist and be an illustrator and a fine artist and do all these things with my career. Um, and the time that I had like a tipping point where I started getting regular work and I could kind of like, even then I wasn't breathing very easy yet, but that was about, um, that was about three or four years for me where I started getting regular opportunities. I still wasn't making a lot of money, but I was, having regular opportunities. And then I would say within, uh, between 2008 and 2015, 14 or 15, it was, uh, which is what, um, more like seven years. I'm terrible at math. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. About seven years for me to really get to the place where I was like, could breathe and be like, oh, okay, this isn't going to stop. Like, because I think that's also what happens is in the beginning, even once you kind of start getting regular work and inquiries about, you know, if you're an illustrator or photographer or whatever, and you, you want to get like build your client list and all of that, like in the beginning, even when that starts happening, you're like, oh, but it could all end tomorrow. Or like, <laughs> yeah, I better say yes to this because this may be the last time anybody reaches out to me. And what I realize is, is if you keep putting your work out there and you keep promoting your work and you keep making good work, people will keep coming back. And it took me a while to sort of get to the place where I understood that, that it wasn't all just going to go like poof, goodbye, right. you know? So, um, so that, and then I would say like in the, and then there was like, for me, there's another phase that I've been in the last two years where, um, you know, it, I like kind of went up a level, another level in terms right. of my clients and the amount of work that I, um, have done or get at least get offers on. And so crushing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's great, but it's also hard. We can talk about that. Like yeah, managing sure. a, a career is hard because you have to say no a lot. And then if you do take on a lot of projects you have to manage all of them and make all your clients happy and right. meet all your deadlines and it can be hard but it does take a long time but i shouldn't i should also say that even back in the beginning when it was super slow like i was still figured out a way to like have a part-time job so that i could you know i just i didn't let that stop me um i think there's ways in the beginning to like supplement your income with other things until yeah. you get to the place where you're making a full-time living if that's what you aspire to do. It's also perfectly fine to be an artist or a designer on the side. Yeah, for <laughs> you sure. Know? Yeah, I totally agree. You had mentioned before about um, how you created like an Etsy account and you realized that you can, you know, people, uh, you would kind of create a demand and people wanted it and then you were able to make, you know, uh, prints. And, and I know that, you know, now it's, now that has turned into books and it's kind of expanded from there. Um, so can you talk about that a little bit? Because that's kind of like where I am, now a little bit with um like with like with the podcast for example like i'm i'm realizing that i have these tools and these assets that i can i can do things with but there i don't know if it's like imposter syndrome or what it is but you're like i can't be a business but then really like there's i don't know i'm out of i'm i'm out of excuses 
So when you're venturing into the world of selling things online and, and trying to not only have your platform as like a social thing, but as a business, do you have any advice for getting started on that? Because that's like right where I am right now, just like just before that. Yeah. And I think that's really common what you're going through. And I definitely went through it too. So there's two things that happened. So first of all, you feel like you definitely feel like an, an imposter, especially like you could have like a degree in art or design or architecture or you know, photography, whatever, you could be really good at it. But somehow in the beginning, we often feel like we're, we're sort of, I don't know, like that we, that we were trying to get into a party that we weren't invited to. Right. right. Or that and it's that like pretend, somehow, it's like make-believe. That's how I feel. I yeah, feel like that, I'm going to make like a diner like, as a kid. <laughs> yeah. Or like we're somehow like faking it, but everybody else knows how to do it the right way and right, we're going to yeah. do it the wrong way. So there's a lot of, like that, if anyone who's listening is experiencing that feeling like I'm not real, this isn't real, this is never going to turn into anything real, what you're experiencing is completely normal. Like 90% of people go through it. So the other thing that happens besides imposter syndrome is that oftentimes we feel kind of like almost like dirty in a way for like promoting our own work, right? And yeah. so... Like I remember in the beginning, there was no Instagram for me there in, in the beginning of my career, there was no Instagram, there was maybe Facebook, but I don't even know if I had a fan page yet. I had a blog and I would go onto Twitter every day and be like, Hey, go look at what I made today. Or like I would link all to these places where my work was posted. And I remember I felt like, like a pimp, like pimping my own work. Like, yeah. and that just felt like so uncomfortable for me to be always sort of like promoting myself and my work. I'm so used to it now and I don't think of it that way at all anymore. Yeah. But I think that's another Same. thing that can happen is that we feel like people are going to think we're, you know, that we're bragging or that we somehow are trying to draw attention to ourselves when all we're trying to do is like make a living, right? Like all yeah. we're trying to do is, and usually the great thing about social media is the people who are interested in what you have to do are the people who are going to follow you. If people are annoyed by you, they're going to unfollow you anyway. So you don't need to worry about that. Exactly. And so um, in terms of advice, I think that understanding that both of those feelings are real and, and, and common and that most people experience them is the first step. And then also I think um, – understanding that like they go away over time that if you just keep showing up even though it's uncomfortable and you feel like an idiot <laughs> or like you don't know what you're doing um or that you know that you're somehow aren't doing it the right way or that or i think sometimes our greatest fear nobody's going to pay attention right like what if i put this thing into the world and i don't get any reaction right or somebody criticizes it and so there's a lot of fear involved and for me, I felt the fear, but I, I got really good at like just being anxious for a, a few years, <laughs> you know, yeah. and being like, okay, this is, this is just my new normal for a while. Eventually it'll go away. That's so funny that's exactly where I am right now in my life. It's so funny. I'm just well, like, I'm okay with it. You yeah, know what? you have to be. You have to be. You have to like, just be like, this is, and you have to remember everyone who's putting their work into the world for, you know, the first few years feels that. It's not, I mean, there might be some rare people who, we don't, but actually that, that is your ego. That's your ego wanting to protect itself from getting hurt. Right. It's also your ego wanting to feel good. And so I think just understanding that is important and pushing through it and like trying to figure out a way to show up. Like I have this mantra 
and it's begin anyhow. Like there's always going to be a reason why we're not going to start. There's always a reason why we can't do something. We don't have the right supplies. We don't have enough followers. We don't have this. We don't have that. And what happens if you continue to make excuses for all the reasons you can't do something is it's never going to happen. It just right. never happens. Exactly. And so you have to sort of do do whatever you can with what limited resources, knowledge, skill you have. And I think that's one thing that I did. And maybe it's because I didn't go to art school. So I didn't have all those like messages in my head about the wrong or right way to do something. I just was like, I'm going to do it. And I know it's kind of shitty. I know it sucks a little bit, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. And And people love when it sucks because they know that it's real. People love it's in a world where everything's so fake. People love seeing like humility and realness. That's what I've found. Whenever I try and be fancy, nobody gives a shit. Whenever I say something about how I screwed up, it's like the most like the most impressions I ever get. It's weird. It's true. People are pretty supportive, you know? Yeah, they are. And I think that sharing that part of your process on social media is super helpful. And that's one thing I did early on is like, I made this thing, but, um, you know, I don't know if I'm completely happy with it or, um, you know, I'm really struggling with this, this, you know, getting this right. And I don't have to make those posts as much anymore, but in the beginning I did a lot. And I think it was comforting for other people to know that what I was going through, what they were going through, I was also going through and that kind of vulnerability, like, helps connect you with other people. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And, and I think that that's the way to do it. You know, like with what tying in with what you said before about, um, you know, like worry, worrying so much about promoting yourself. And I feel like a lot of people have that and they don't want to seem boastful because there are a lot of people who are kind of gross about it and they see that and they're like, I don't want, I don't want to do that. But I feel like the best way, like when you're making content or when you're putting stuff out like for the internet and tell me if you agree is that, um, just to kind of like show, like just show what you're doing. And like, like people will give you a chance. Like for, for example, the other day I went to, um, I had a, a meeting with a client and then there was like a Michaels right next to it. And you ever like be next to like Michaels or something. And you're like, yes, we are going in there and we are spending some money. We're going to get a whole bunch of supplies. And I went there and I spent like 50 bucks on like paper and all this like random different stuff mm-hmm. and backgrounds. And it was like so much fun, but I just showed what I was doing and people, there was, like, I got such a great response to, from it. And I realized it's like, that's what I should just do from now on. Rather than trying to like create content, I'm basically just showing, showing either failing or succeeding. And when like they're, they're going to be there either way, because people want to see you fuck up and then be good. You know what I mean? It's true. It's true. And then I think people also need to understand that and they want to see the finished polished stuff, but they also want to see what got you there. And, um, you know, sometimes I show pictures of my old work when I was like just learning to be an artist and people are, they're like, wait, what? Like they don't, they can't, it's (laughs) surprising to them that, yeah, because they're, because it's so, you know, I was like, yeah, I was a beginner once too. And being a beginner, but I, but I was posting my work on the internet, like, and sometimes I have the urge to go like find all the places where my, my old, old, old work sits and take it down. And then I'm like, no, this is part of my story. Yeah, like, This exactly. is part of, I like where I am is because of where I've come from. Mm-hmm. And I'm always going to be changing what I do as an artist. I'm all, cause I get bored really easily. So, Same. you know, I, I totally relate because yesterday I was going through and, and I hate when I do this, but sometimes I do just, you know, you kind of curate your Instagram a little bit more. I hate even saying yeah. that word. But, you know, you go through and you something, you know, you, you say to yourself, like, if someone's looking at my Instagram for the first time, 
do I want this up there? Right. And I'm going through all this different stuff and I kept going down. And like, once it gets past a certain point, I started, I really applied myself for photography this year. Like, like wholeheartedly. I just like dove in. Like I've never, I should probably like take designer out of my title (laughs) soon and just do photography. It's weird. Like I'm in love kind of thing with it. But, uh, when I went through my Instagram, it's so crazy. I remember how stupid I felt like just the same thing we were talking about before calling myself a photographer but i knew that if i like kind of spoke it into existence and put it on the gram that that people would would see that and be like okay well like let's see what he does and i kind of use that as a way to get better and i look at that like that moment where i was like proclaimed that and like the shift happened so fast i think so much of it is just saying that like that you're going to like putting it out holds you accountable to yourself Cause if you're going to like be like loud and proud on Instagram, be like, I'm doing this thing. It's like, you know, you kind of are holding your own feet to the fire. I feel like, cause now I yeah, live at that moment and then where I am now. And that would have never happened if not for publicly exposing me getting better at my craft. You know what I mean? Exactly. I think there's like a couple things to unpack there. And yeah. one of them is this idea of like proclaiming that you are something and really owning it. So I wrote this book called Art Inc: The Essential Guide to Building Your Career as an Artist, and and so it's a it's a it's a book for people who want to make a living as an artist. And the first chapter is really like talks about the first step, just being like I am an artist, because so many people have like all these negative, you know, uh, associations with like proclaiming that they're an artist of any kind, a photographer, illustrator, whatever. Like it yeah. seems self indulgent. It's it like a romantic notion. Like it's like the not, humble artist. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or like, <laughs> you know, or they have all these like negative associations. Like they're going to be poor, and you know, or people are going to think that they're pretentious or whatever. Right. So you have to get over that. The other thing that I think is important to unpack is this idea of holding yourself accountable through social media. It's, I mean, social media is awesome for promoting your work, but I also think it serves this other purpose of like this platform to be public about getting better at something. And actually that's one of the things, one of the ways I got better at work was doing these um, year long projects. I don't, I haven't done one in a long time, but in like 2010 and 12 and 13, I did these projects where every day for a year I would work, practice something. Right every day and I would show it on the internet. So for example, now in my description of myself that you read earlier on Instagram, I call myself a hand letterer. Now I was not a hand letterer before 2011 um, or 12, whenever I did that project, I think it was 2012. I really was somebody who like, I knew how to write letters, but I didn't have my own style. I hadn't really figured out how to make it work. I didn't know what the tools were. Right. So I spent the whole year hand lettering something every day for a year. And now I can call myself a hand letterer. I probably started calling myself a hand letterer at the beginning of that project because I was hand lettering every day. I wasn't necessarily very good at it. So there's something about like being public that I am this or I am going to do this that actually holds you accountable not only to yourself but to the people that are invested in you or who follow you online and enjoy what you do. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that project is kind of goes back to what we were just talking about is that in the beginning of that project, I was terrible and I was like still posting stuff every day that was like really bad. But, and this was before, um, I was on Instagram regularly. So I was doing this on my blog and on Twitter 
but still a lot of people were following along, not nearly as many as follow me today, but right. enough that I felt like if I missed a day or, you know, whatever, that it was, um, you know, like that people were going to be paying attention to that. Yeah. And that was great. And also just, and they kind of do too. If you're, if you're going yeah, to, if you're going to say it, they're going to do it. Like, you know, I'm doing so this you have to watch what you right say. Now where I, no, it's true. I'm doing this project right now where I'm doing like a sign of the Zodiac at the, around the time the beginning of each Zodiac cycle starts. And I was super behind on Gemini because I've been super busy. And this one woman was like, on, on this other post I made that was completely unrelated to Zodiac was like, I'm still waiting for Gemini to get really released, you know, like people get really invested. But I was one other thing I was going to say, and I yeah. think this is a really important point is that you can't do something you can't practice something every day or three times a week, you know, for a concentrated period of time and not get better at it. So, you know, people are like, how do you find your voice? How do you figure out who you are as an artist? How do you develop your style? And what I say is you just got to like, you got to own it. You got to proclaim it. And then you got to do it. Yeah. You know, you got to do the work and um, you got to do it not just once or twice or three times and expect to get good at it you got to do it over and over and over and over and over exactly until you want to play it's like it's like reps it's like going to the gym you know what i mean like it's just yes yeah okay so i have it in my head where i think that like um and these are just my own dumb ideas that are like i haven't really ironed out all that much so who knows but tell me what you think if this is true or not i really feel like in um in our culture in american culture like while we're, you know, like we said, like there's kind of like uh, supportive people who are support support you on Instagram, and there's all this different stuff, uh, and that's really like within the creative field, there's so many great groups and initiatives and connectivity, right? But at the same time, though, I feel like at at large in our culture in America, there's kind of this notion of like that you're not good enough. I really feel like for so many young creatives, if they could just change the mindset of like, of I am, I don't know anything, but be humble, go out there and go get it. But believe that like, that you can do like, you know, I hope to get to a level where I do like, you know, what Chase Jarvis does or like you do, or you, like, you know what I mean? Like to, to get to that level. But if you are not already in that mindset, you, I think you put yourself at a huge, that's a huge disservice to yourself. And because there's so much to be optimistic about and there's so much to be positive about, but I don't know if that's just my own life experience. I don't know. So no, I agree with you 100%. I think it's hard because I think in our culture, we're, we're told that we should feel beaten down and that we should stay humble and all this stuff. And like, right. well, I think that humility is great in terms of like, not stepping on other people and not thinking you're better than other people. There's room, but also understanding there's room for lots of people to be successful. Yeah. Um, and that no one person deserves success more than another person. You don't deserve it more than somebody else. Like, um, and there's, you know, just because you have success doesn't mean it takes away from somebody else's potential to have success. Um, cause I think that's also something that happens is like, we get very possessive of our success or our like, you know, cause people are always like, why do you, um, giving away so much information to artists about like how to be successful? And I'm like, I mean, my success rests on the backs of the people who came before me who were so generous with information and tips and, you know, and there's some proprietary stuff you don't want to share. You don't want to give too much away, but there's a lot of stuff that those of us who are experienced can give away. And I feel like so joyful when I see like young creatives making it because it means that, that, you know, we're, you know, we're like preparing the next generation of, 
of creatives to be successful. And there's never been a better time to be an artist. I mean, the internet has provided a platform and opportunities that did not exist before. And there are so many different ways that we don't, we haven't even thought of yet that people are going to be making, you know, monetizing their, their work and making a living being a creative. And so I'm all about encouraging and like really thinking about helping people visualize where they want to, to go. Not that visualization alone is the key. (laughs) You've got to work towards it. You got to make a plan. Yeah. It's not like the secret. It's not like you just like, no, no, exactly. It's definitely not the secret. The discipline has Um, to be like in tandem. That's what I've realized. Cause you could have all the chutzpah and all of like the energy in the world. Like I have like the, you know, like the Gene Wilder, Charlie and the chocolate factory level, like positivity in my life. But if you don't follow that up in tandem with the discipline, it doesn't, really translate to anything. I think most success, like most successful people are willing to constantly fail and constantly like test and try and just be like not romantic about that. But that, that's the hardest part. That's the part that they don't talk about. That's the part, you know, well, that's beyond the quote. Right. Or that, exactly. It's like, um, you gotta just get really comfortable with being uncomfortable yeah. and with feedback and criticism. Like, being a, an illustrator, for example, and I think this is also true for professional photographers or graphic designers, like whenever you're doing client work, like your whole career is feedback. It's like the client's like, I want this. And you're like, okay, I will go make that for you. And then you come back with the thing and they're like, oh, that's pretty good, but this needs to be different and this needs to be different. And so you really have to be listening to the client and working with, you know, you know, your skill set to try to, you know, listen to feedback and figure out how to make the thing that the client's going to, going to like, cause that's your job. Yeah. Um, you know, not everybody who's an artist works with clients, but, um, that is one way in which like being an artist is like kind of constantly uncomfortable because you're constantly working with people who are like basically, you know, criticizing your work yeah I actually speaking of creative live I just recorded a class on working successfully with clients um, for them so if anybody is interested in that but I think it it is it's like this (laughs) yeah creative live is a great platform um so yeah it's like you you enter the situation with this balance of like I can do this but I'm also I'm I also have to be humble because um, you know, I'm working with somebody else who's going to be giving me feedback and money and, and money. Right. And they're paying me. And so, right. I need to be respectful. I need to like hold my temper, even if there's a situation that pisses me off in the client relationship, which 98% of the time does not happen, but it it does occasionally. And dealing with those situations is really hard sometimes. And then you also have to know when to push back when like the client you know, the client's not right. And like, how do you sort of have conversations around stuff that you're not sure is the right direction? Yeah. Or the work that you're doing. And, um, I think that like, it's just this very delicate balance. I think a lot of people want to make art or want to do client work, but working with clients is really hard because you have to work with personalities and you have to know, um, like how to push and negotiate, not just for a fee or whatever it is you want 
the terms of the agreement, but also inside of the creative process, like sometimes it's appropriate to just say yes to every change the client wants you to make. That's the easiest way through. Sometimes the easiest, you know, sometimes the best way isn't the easiest way. It's like, I see what you're saying, but you know, ultimately you have to do what the client wants. And so you got to like let go of your own ego, but sometimes, you know, you might feel like the client, well, one way to avoid this is like making sure that the client, um, is hiring you like that you understand why the client wants to work with you before you engage in that relationship. Right. Because right, right. Often, like, what, what is the, is what is the intent? Say, right. Yeah. And if you say yes too quickly without getting all the information, which is a lot of what the class I teach is about is like, how do you like, is this even an opportunity I want to engage in for a week or two months or however long the job's going to take? Cause some jobs are really take a really long time, you know, like, you might find out that the client is really interested in a style you were known for a couple of years ago or something really old in your portfolio. And then but if you don't ask, like, why do you want to work with me? Like, what is your vision for this project? Like, what's the art direction yeah. to make sure you're on board and you can deliver before you sign up to work with the client? Um, exactly. And I think that's true in any working relationship. Like, yeah. Even like applying for jobs and stuff. I think if you're an entry level creator, oh, yeah. like applying for jobs, the same holds true. Like, it's just as much... Everyone always has it like when they leave school, they have it. And I, I did too, where I left school and I was like, I am, I am lucky to be here and I better mind my P's and Q's. Now when I go into interviews, I am, I like, I'm not going to like, you know, interrogate them, but you know, you need, you need to realize that like, you, you know, just because you want a job doesn't mean that you like, you know, like that, that is the job just because like you got the interview with them. Like you're going to have to be there and it's going to suck if you hate them. It's soul sucking to be there. And it's or not exactly they, easy to leave. Even if, <laughs> that's right. Even if they're great people, but they're like, want you to do the kind of work that you're not interested in doing, you yeah. know? And so getting really clear, like, is this a place I'm going to feel fulfilled creatively? Cause if you're a creative person and you're working on stuff that's mind numbing for you, like you'll be miserable. Yeah. It's not worth it. Exactly. Recently, I've been realizing that the best kind of mentorship is not the kind of mentorship where it's like, oh my God, I know this really crazy person who I talk to like once a year and it's so epic that I know them and like, and they're going to have a big sweeping influence in my life when really that's not true. But I feel like the best mentor relationships are the ones where it's kind of unconditional. The people you talk to the most, the people that you talk to throughout the course of the day or that kind of guide you or are a little, are like a little bit your senior and you regularly right. work with. Because everybody wants to have that, like, you know, I'm, I'm being mentored right now by David Droga. It's crazy. I don't know how it happened. But, like, but really, like, I don't know. I found that the, the biggest shifts in my life and my biggest mentors have been the people that have given it to me straight, told me what I didn't want to hear. They're usually the people that have pissed me off the most because they were right. Mentorship is so important. It's hard because, like, I have to turn down requests to be a mentor all the time because yeah. um, I just don't have time. So I think the first thing for people to understand is that oftentimes you might choose somebody who'd like to be your mentor and then you write to them or reach out to them and they have to say no, or they say yes, but then they don't really show up for you. And, yeah. and that's because people are busy. So just know that sometimes it's hard to find a mentor because the reason you want somebody to be your mentor is because they're doing all the things, but because they're doing all the things, they're probably really busy and they don't have time. So yeah, it's you tough. You never see him. You never see him. I never yeah, see Debbie never Millman see and she's one of the most influential people in my life. I never see her. She's always working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's also super like travels all the time. And yeah. So, 
one of the things that I, um, you know, I think that it's possible to have mentors who are not necessarily giving you personal feedback. So finding people who write blog posts or record podcasts or have written books on the topics that you're interested in learning more about. And just like, I've had a lot of people who will be like, Oh, you've been a great mentor to me. And I have never met them. I've never even spoken to them. Um, and I have people like that in my own life. Like people whose work has changed my life in some way or the way they talk about their work has changed my life. Um, I was really lucky early on. I signed with an illustration agency when I was very new to illustration and, uh, uh, Lilla Rogers studio. She's a super well-known agent now back when I signed with her. Um, you know, she, she didn't represent as many people and, she wasn't as well known as she is now. And she was really, and I know she's still like this. Like she's, um, she also teaches a lot of classes for aspiring illustrators and people who want to license their work. And, um, in that way she's a mentor to a lot of people, but I was really lucky because I had this sort of one-on-one relationship with her. When I first signed with her, part of her job was like, especially somebody who, who had talent, but hadn't gone to art school, she was really interested in like helping me figure out how to navigate the world of illustration and licensing and what I needed to work on in my portfolio to, you know, to, to get where I wanted to go. And the advice she gave me and the, the feedback she gave me was really invaluable to me. So if you can find somebody who's even going to sort of like help you understand where your portfolio needs work or, you know, stuff like that is super important. I also, I have some, I had some odd mentors that you wouldn't necessarily like my accountant, my bookkeeper is been such, she's not, she, she, she's a super creative person, but like her main job is, is as an accountant and bookkeeper. And I started working with her like very, the first year I was self-employed. I never, I always did my own taxes, but the first year I was self-employed, I was like, okay, I'm going to find somebody to help me figure out how to file my taxes. Now she does all my books and everything too. And I've worked with her now for 11 or 12 years. That's and amazing. I love that. I know. And she also taught me everything I ever needed to know about like, about accounting and bookkeeping. Because for a while I was doing my own bookkeeping. She would just do my taxes, but she, you know, you know, I was, you have to pay <laughs> quarterly. After it took her nine night. hours to do her taxes, she figured it was time to, <laughs> yeah. for the yeah. relationship. And she's like, Oh my God, Lisa, here's all the things you need to be doing differently in terms of your bookkeeping. So she taught me how to use QuickBooks. She taught me so much about like how the world of tax law works. And I mean, she's an invaluable resource to me. I actually was interviewed by, um, uh, what is that magazine? It's not fortune. It's Forbes. Yeah. And, um, about having that, that the fact that one of my biggest mentors is my my accountant and bookkeeper, she told me so, she taught me so much about money management. And so, so as a creative person, your mentor isn't necessarily always going to be another artist or designer, right? Totally true. It might be somebody who I'm also right now I'm working with somebody who's helping me with my public speaking and, um, I pay her, doing a course, great job. but like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you. Um, so, you know, it, it's like a lot of times if you can't find like a, a mentor who's just going to be your buddy and like help you with for free, which sometimes you can. There's also people out there who, you know, who you can pay to like help you get better at the things that, you know, you want to get better at. For and, sure. 
and learn get, getting, you know, beyond mentorship, like putting yourself in learning mode where you're like constantly taking classes and trying to improve your skills is always the best possible place to be. Yeah. This has been absolutely incredible. This has been one of my favorite conversations I've had uh, <laughs> ever in my life. Let's be best friends. Um, thank you so much for doing this. It's been really, really fun. And you've been so insightful. I think that we're so on the, on the same page about so much of this stuff. Um, and I really, it, it makes me feel good to know that like all these times where I'm like, I see people like yourself and I see like how much work you put in. And I know I, I saw on a YouTube video, you were talking about, you know, how, kind of the, the managing the work-life balance and stuff like that. And it's just, it's just, it's good to know that I'm in a place where if I continue to do, like to do what I'm doing, that I'll be, you know, somewhere like you. <laughs> yeah. You just so, have to, you have to be patient. Like yeah. I, I posted this thing on Instagram the other, yeah. exactly. I posted this image on Instagram. It was kind of a tongue in cheek uh, illustration that I made, but it was called tools of the trade. And uh, it's basically like, made to look like art supplies, but all the, the tubes and like cans have words like discipline and patience and perseverance and grit because really being an artist is about showing up and doing the hard work and like trying to stay enthusiastic and committed to it. And it's hard. I mean, I think any career is hard, but I think we have these romantic notions of what it means to be an artist. And, um, and then people start doing it and they're like, Oh, this, yeah, this is fun, but it's also really, really hard. So I'm not sure I want to stick with it. You yeah. have to get really comfortable with those parts of being an artist to make it, I think. Yeah. And I think also too, like even, and this is going to sound crazy and this is kind of like some un unconventional advice that I'm giving out here, but like, you know, you may think of like, if you're like, it's okay to, to switch it up too. Like I know that, you know, I was always first and foremost a graphic designer. And now, as I mentioned, it's kind of starting to blur a little bit with, with photography and stuff like that. But it's okay to like to, to change it because like if working, for example, for me, like with, like with pictures, it seems so easy and so effortless and so fun. And I just, I want to live in Lightroom. I just want to edit pictures all day. Like that's kind of how you know, like you, you like what you're doing. And if you don't, I think you should continue to test and try and do things so that you do find something that you do want to do. Cause I would like photography is like all I think about right now, but it, but you have to be open to maybe I'm not this, maybe I'm not that, you know, like proclaim, but also be willing yeah. to switch it up if it's not going right. I don't know if that makes any sense. That's right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And you gotta like, you gotta give it enough time because everything's hard in the beginning. Yeah. But, but like if it's the thing, even though it's hard and you're not very good at it, if it's the thing you still want to do every day. Like that's a really good sign. Yeah. Like being obsessed with something is like, there's not, there's nothing like that. That's like the best feeling in the world to me that, that I can't stop thinking about my work is might drive my significant other crazy. But Same. to me, it's like, <laughs> it's like, I feel so blessed. Like I'm passionate about something that I, and I get to do it every day and I get to get paid for it. Like yeah. I feel like I, pretty much every day that I won the lottery, even though it's also really hard. And I'm not shy about talking about the hard parts of it too. Uh, cool. Thank you so much for doing this. Where can people find you online? This is shameless self-promotion time. Anything you have coming up? <laughs> if you have like a well, thing have, or something you want to tell everyone about. I have a, <laughs> a website. It's just lisacongan.com. And on there you can find, oh, you're I have obviously. tons of, I have tons of classes, um, online classes. So some through Skillshare, some through creative live, some through creative bug, and then some through my own platform. I've written several books. Those are also on my website. You can see my portfolio there. 
Um, the place that I hang out the most is Instagram. So I'm just at Lisa Congdon, it's my name. And I post pretty much every day. I don't make something new every day. I, like, I do post old work yeah. a lot because uh, it's impossible to keep up with Instagram speed. Yeah. But um, but I, I'm there a lot. I'm pretty active. And I share a lot about my process and my thinking. And I also try to give a lot of encouragement to people who are also in the creative world and you know might feel like they're struggling. Yeah, so for come sure. find me there. Quick question on your Instagram feed. I was just curious to know. Yeah. My favorite color is orange and I know that I see orange in your work a lot is orange one of your favorite colors well it's funny I would never call it orange I call it vermilion red so I like that's the color of the creatives then like the reddish orange yeah yeah I wouldn't call that yeah it's like an orangey red like I actually traditional orange you don't see too much in my work but I love vermilion it's like my absolute favorite color. how do you say how, that's the best way to, that's what I'm calling it now Bermil- well, it's vermilion vermilion v-e-r oh, vermilion m-i yeah vermilion it's a pigment it's the actual name of a pigment so it's like where orange meets uh, red like right in between yeah pretty much google it and you will see it's yeah. actually yeah it is exactly where orange meets red that it's like a very warm red yeah that's awesome i think dr seuss yeah. was that color that's where i got the color for meet the creatives <laughs> i swear to god meet awesome. the creatives is, is dr seuss orange it was originally pentagram orange because i thought that uh right out of school i would get a job at pentagram again to show how naive i was and then i changed it to when i rebranded it i I made it uh green eggs and ham which was my first childhood favorite book i just loved orange (laughs) and tide tide too that's my my favorite brand there you go yeah that's orange no wait what's the word not orange what is it vermilion vermilion awesome so great to meet you, Bob. You, Thank you, you for having me. Yeah, you too. It's been a lot of fun. Sorry about my craziness and my ADD, but you know, when you can edit it <laughs> afterwards, you might as well let it rock. Exactly. All right. All right talk Thank to you, you soon. so much. Bye. Bye.